0: The subject for the evening talk is the emptiness of this and that. In an ordinary and everyday way with our perceptions we look at the world that we are experiencing and participating and we notice and observe in countless numbers of ways that there is an ongoing relationship. We have an accessibility to the world through the sense doors, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, and through the intimations of mind, feeling, and the perceptional life with thought. And through this ongoing relationship, we acquire and derive our information, our experiences of life. And these experiences which we have of life help shape our view, our opinion, our perception of what life is, what it's it's all about. And we see in this unfolding process that when we experience life and perceive life, we give consideration as a result of all of this to the construction of time. And this has been spoken about a little bit in the previous talks. And the three fields of time, namely the past, the present, and the future. And through common agreement between us as people on the earth, as humanity, we talk and think and create ideation around what we were, what we are, what we are doing, and what will be or what we will be doing. And this, these constructions of thoughts, ideas, and speech make up our common world familiar to human beings wherever the same kind of language is taught anywhere on the, uh, on the earth. These common conceptions of past, present, and future. What we've been noticing in ourselves and therefore in our culture, if there is one, and a society, is that when we turn the attention to the past, in that turning of the attention to the past, we tend to give the past some kind of existence, some kind of specialness, and particularly so when it's referring, so to speak, to ourselves. And so the common conception is when looking at our past, we think of the events and the experiences of the past, and some of that is painful in terms of the associations and memory, and then the thought, out of that starts to draw conclusions. And some of the conclusions which are drawn is that we have things in the past unresolved, lacking in insight and understanding, which need from us to be penetrated, to be understood and resolved sometimes we begin to make special effort to help facilitate that as it were movement of what we think is in the past or in ourselves to help bring that up to the surface so a common conception that we have of ourselves of our relationship to life is that the past has some inherent special existence for us and as it were we can't move on in life until we come up to date in other words the old is resolved in some way or other we continue with this belief system we continue with this perception and this thought and then we enter into different events and experiences in our life and then we say to ourselves and we say to each other there is stuff coming up and we use words charged words which are an endeavor to describe what is taking place from the old and with the experiences of my old fears repressions aggressions anxieties worries all the negative interpretations with that we then form conclusions about ourselves oh i've got so much to work on in myself i've got so much deep down inside of me and unless i get this out unless i resolve this then i'm always going to be A victim. I'm always going to be living in the shadow of my past. So, I have a little bit of news for you. It's a complete myth. We have this view, and what we have done with our way of thinking is to form a viewpoint. We have taken up a viewpoint, a standpoint about ourselves which we have adhered to, which we have had reinforced by friends, lovers, the specialists and teachers and so on and so forth that there is something inside of us which we can't be liberated until that thing is finished in some way or other. And then we stop, and we engage in a little meditation. We, as it were, prepare our mind. We make ourselves mindful and a little conscious. And then we say, "Okay, I'm ready. Come if you wish, because I'm clear, I'm steady, and my knees are not hurting. So come." <laughs> and just nothing seems to happen when we extend the invitation (laughs) so then we can to rationalize this and say well perhaps I have to make more effort and so we put out more effort we start striving we're efforting we start putting pressure on the system and if we push hard enough and if we, if we push long enough something will eventually happen there will be some kind of explosion some kind of catharsis some event will take place then we experience this event and then the thought comes in following this event there are I knew it <laughs> we now have the proof that there is something old, lying there, like just waiting, vulture-like, to zoom up (laughs) and grab our consciousness and make our life miserable. And so then we we perpetuate the mythology again and again, and every time we say there is something there, something to come up, we continue in this belief system. And we live in a fragmented world, a fragmented life in which there is I and me and then there is that which is old and unresolved and the two do not have a very happy relationship together. So one is, the I is always apprehensive about what's so-called past, that so-called stuff. so I wonder whether with that whether we want to be living in that viewpoint because there is no resolution of that view through bringing stuff up having a look at it going back down bringing something else up having a look at it going back down there's no resolution of that there's no resolution in the mythology of an unconscious because if it's unconscious, then it's inaccessible. And the popular image is often, there is this huge unconscious with all the dragons and the snakes all waiting there. And there's the consciousness up there, shivering away at the prospect. <laughs> <laughs> and the perpetuation of this what is such, and one is trapped because if it's unconscious, there's not the accessibility. Accessibility. It's a way of perceiving life and interpreting life and I think we can liberate ourselves from this form of interpretation. And sometimes I feel humor is a small resource to questioning traditionally conceived of ideas. Because if one clings to the idea of unconscious and clings to the idea of old as some truth outside of perception then there's going to be no liberation it's simply a way of interpreting of perceiving I don't perceive that way and uh, and others don't perceive that way and therefore there's no burden of yesterday or yesteryear and so one looks at the situation and in that very understandably, understandably one can say, yes, but there is so much of the past, and if one goes into the Eastern tradition and dare steps into it for just a moment, it's not just one life. (laughs) Imagining working out that lot. So In that, we look at that in our relationship to the past and to the present, there we just allow ourselves to have some doubt, not to deny the validity of, not to deny the the useful, the pragmatic interpretation that, that can be there, but not to forget it's simply a way of perceiving and interpreting. Now, one of the factors in this, both with past and with present, is many factors, and one which I'll talk about in a moment, is a factor of effort, and the significant factor of how effort contributes to the perception, to the interpretation of things. And just in just talking then about the past, I was just reminded one of the most famous stories of Angulimala, of the buddhist time two and a half thousand years ago and then Gulimala was a, a bandit a, a robber a, a mugger and the buddhist said that he wanted to travel from one village to another and what it entailed for him was walking from point uh, from one village through this uh, pathway through uh, the woods through to the next village and the people in the village said to him look don't take this pathway because uh, angulimala uh, rules this this stretch and he strikes fear and terror into the hearts of all that go through this pathway and the buddha ignored the advice and began to make the walk through there part of the way through there there was uh, Huge uh, shout and a uh, roar from uh, Angulimala, who shouted at the Buddha, Hey, you stop, and started shouting and running towards him. And the Buddha, it's just said in the text, kept on walking, and as he walked, he says, I've stopped. And and Gulimala bemused by this uh, sadhu wandering uh, ascetic um, coming out with what apparently was a contradictory statement and, and Gulimala caught up with him and, and Ghulimala s- said to him when I um, as a robber are uh, confronting, uh, mugging uh, people he, he said they do one of three things either they run for their life or they fight me, or they mm. beg for mercy, like this. And when I heard this, um, no, no, this, this story, I thought, <laughs> I wonder if uh, he was brought up in New York. <laughs> anyway, so th- so then he, and so the Buddha said to him, "I've stopped, and you haven't, Angulimala." And something in that dynamic, something in that interaction, whatever it was, shook and Gulimala, and then Gulimala stopped. It finished. So there was a whole identity we might say in interpreting there's a whole identity of Angulimala, the robber, the the mugger, a long history of terrorizing people and in that single interaction, and this is what spiritual life offers and says to us again and again, that single interaction, all that accumulation, all that aggression, that violence, that fear, that tyrannizing of people, finished right there on the stop on the spot and Anguli was able to say I've stopped too so when we are thinking in terms of quantity when we are thinking in, there is so much to work on in myself. When we are magnifying through thought and image in that way, we provide a disservice to our immediate liberation because we cherish these views. Understand? It's the cherishing of the view which is the problem. To the degree that it is cherished and and, and upheld and maintained and believed and supported to the degree that that's a problem the problem is not outside of the perception It's with the way of relating liberation is much more free much more immediate and much more accessible than what we imagine and what we think that is the beauty of it. So we have spoken during the days together. We have spoken of dependent, dependent arising. We have been questioning together very much this self-other relationship. How we view something as affecting me. Something which is influencing me, something which I need, something which I, I want. In that, we form that duality. So in this case, the duality is being shown through my past or my stuff or what's coming up for me today and the present. And we're so habitualized to looking in that way that sometimes it seems... An immense sleep, it's not really, but it seems an immense sleep just to see dependent arising. Just to see these un- events, shall we say, in simple way, just unfolding themselves. And that, whatever there is which is showing itself, doesn't have any specialness, doesn't have any uniqueness doesn't have any selfness to it that which is old there, in other words there is no stuff inside of you there is nothing inside of you which ever comes up this is all the language of self and metaphor and we've become mesmerized with the view of metaphors we've made we've imprisoned consciousness to this view the metaphor of coming up and going down and more to come up and whatever what if we just drop what if we say to ourselves in a very simple way just this evening the language of stuff coming up the metaphor of that I'm not going to bring to consciousness I'm not going to speak that language anymore I'm not going to talk uh, in that way Sometimes when we look in our relationship to the world around and that sometimes with liberation and with immediate liberation, one sees as a kind of world in which we live, in which there are kind of forces of movement, we might say. There are kinds of views which take place and the views which take place are such that we're pushed and pulled very understandably again in one direction or the other. And when one takes freedom and and liberation, there's a diversity of this pushing and pulling. One view, constant and regular view which we are told, is you can't do it by yourself. Nobody can get themselves liberated by their own efforts. And we see there are people, men and women, who struggle for self-liberation. And in the struggle for self-liberation, one looks inside, one goes deep inside, one gives many hours, many years to deep meditative work, and yet sometimes when one stops for a moment or a few moments, it sometimes seems that liberation, immediate liberation is as far away as it as it ever was and the memory comes back of all those hours and those that struggle and the efforts and the pains and the long history of that and that impacts itself one says well can i ever get myself liberated can these teachings whatever they are liberate me and then sometimes we switch away from self as the agent of liberation and then we begin to say well perhaps can't be be perhaps Orthodox religions perhaps they have got it right after all perhaps it's other which is in fact the liberator and so then one's attention turns to other and other can be a contemporary figure with insight or realization or charisma or all of that or something else or it can be through the Persona of someone of the past, or it could be through tradition or a form or a faith or a, a religion or a particular book. And so sometimes we move away from the idea of self liberation to the idea that the agent is elsewhere. It, re- re- reply, it responds in another. And then there's the power of that very same movement affecting consciousness, moving consciousness. You know, and one could take anything in life and just focus on any particular in life and make it something special. Whatever, whatever it might be. Let, let, there's, there's a bell here. Let's take this. And we could look at this particular gong and this particular bell and then we could all focus upon it for a period of time. And then one of us can come along and go like this, preferably wearing some religious uniform. (laughs) (laughs) And then people begin to focus on this bell. And then that bell becomes something. It becomes special. It's not like other bells. It It gets distinct. And then somebody says, when that bell struck on that night, something incredible happened to me. (laughs) The vibrations, the sounds, the, the intimation, something of the Om of the universe struck through that bell, and it just opened me. And one person begins to share this and say this. And then another person begins and it's not long before there are pilgrimages to this particular (laughs) bell at the Angela Center and it started on a hot stingy summer's evening and it gains a uniqueness and people make a lot of effort to get close to this bell Then, then the philosophers come and the scientists come and the psychologists come And then people who are going to other bells begin to come. And And then we have a very widespread movement, bellism. (laughs) All because someone went like this and said, wow, that just went so deep. (laughs) And in a way, in a way... And this is this is only a mild exaggeration. (laughs) (laughs) Yet, extraordinary thing is, and part of the wonder and the and uh, almost the miracle of of life is that in such situations, the power of the myth does change. There may not be anything else but the effort and the attention and the devotion and the uh, awareness and the focus and the single-pointedness and all of that in relationship to that, even if that is no different as it is from any other bell or any other situation in this world, when it becomes something through the power of effort and focus and will and attention and devotion it does change it's not it is an extraordinary thing that the myth changes the fact this is a wonder of life isn't it so sometimes we are told in our relationship the life go to other move with other and we then begin to think that it's not I that can do this then we begin to think it's that that changes me, that transforms me that made such a difference to my life and when we have that then we have what's not that and we start excluding we start comparing, we start judging. And self is in bondage to that which seems to have been a vehicle for change and transformation. So then we stop a little bit. And we say, but what's what's going on with us? What's going on internally? That every time we dwell on a particular, and every time we take interest in it, and every time we focus, and every time we apply some effort, And every time we get involved in that, even with the best of purposes and the purest of purposes which may be there, somehow or other, self is born, I is born, and that which I have been focusing on begins to matter. And it begins to matter in a way that it matters more than anything else. Everything else... Well, not mostly everything else, can seem to be empty of in any inherent existence, any self-existence, except that which I focus on. So what I focus on gains a self-existence, a self-other existence. <coughs> I didn't care about the tropical rainforests until I began to focus on them and when I began to focus on them they began to matter for people and planet I didn't care about what happened down the street very much because it didn't concern me I was just concerned with what I'm focused upon which is my family and my children and my parents and my partner I didn't concern myself with what's going on in in India because I that was so far away I didn't have to focus on that, so it didn't matter. So there's something that goes on with us that when we focus and when we establish a focus on whatever, including meditation, including the here and now, including the Buddha, whatever it might be, when we focus, it, the focusing coupled with the effort begins to make that something, it begins to matter. If I focus and in my focusing I focus on the past, I focus on my stuff, the degree that I focus on that and identify with that focus is to the degree that it will matter, that it it is to the degree that it becomes something inherent affecting me. So the very description, the focus and the very description which takes place, makes the package, makes it something. So I can see or sense the emptiness of what I'm not focusing upon because I'm not concerned, but then I find self and other, me and this, me and that, me and something else, and I look around I see all human beings seem to be like this. Every sentence, every word, it seems, reinforces self and other. How can I discover the emptiness of this and that self and other? How, what it, does it mean to be immediately liberated? So, what is going on with us? What is going on with the perception? with the way of looking and the feelings and the images and the the memories that seem to kind of almost conspire together with the additional factor of effort to reinforce substance. When you are here during the days, probably the the major effort during the days that you are here is to be present probably that's one of the, the common threads not for everybody that unites us all so there is this, the common thread I want to be present I, re- I want to be here and now then I find I'm not so I bring in the effort and with the bringing in the effort the here and now begins to matter more according to the degree that I'm striving to be with it but then I think If I don't strive, if I don't make this effort to be with what I perceive to be here and now, then I'll just drift. The fear is I'll wander. I'll get caught up in the old. I'll daydream along with regard to the future. And so then we find that we're in a bind. Either effort to be present or without the effort, I fall apart. And then sometimes that changes as well. Sometimes I say, I experience, actually I'm not making any effort. I'm feeling relaxed. I'm experiencing states of calmness. I'm feeling very comfortable with the group, comfortable with the situation, comfortable with myself. And it is quite effortless in those times. But then a little while goes by, that calmness that begins to fade, the energy itself begins to fade and then I may be either daydreaming, wandering or back to effort. But all of it, choiceless, efforting or daydreaming, it's related to the significance I give to here and now as something inherent. something special, something like that. So once I have that something which is there, then the not something will be there as well. And what is this something? It's made up of that not-something. Understand? I give it something. I make it something special. I separate it from all of its supportive factors and conditionings. And, I, and my efforting and my work on this makes it something. In order for this to be something, it requires the totality of not something. It requires all else. Where did the material come from? Where did this come from? Where did this material come from? It requires all which is not this for this. applies to this it requires all this for this then independent arising whatever we focus upon it requires all this for this if one takes the here and now the immediate present people colors sounds the person speaking the sensations the feelings the movements that are taking place inside the calmness the air the atmosphere the temperature the earth for this immediate social reality for this to be something it requires the entire cooperation of the universe So in a wonderful way, in a rather mysterious, rather magical way, this is the revelation of all else. And then we begin to explore this, we begin to perhaps, perhaps a little, little, get a a sense of this. Then we say, yes, but self-other keeps arising. Christopher picked this up, hit that bell, and that sound generated throughout the entire universe. Christopher did the action. So one says, there is self engaged in doing of something. I did this. But what's this I referring to? What's it it referring to? It's simply a shorthand for all of this. Perceptions, feelings, consciousness, movement, action taking place with this. And where's all this come from? Did I create this situation? Did you create this situation? It comes from all this. So sometimes we say, and we hear this a lot, I hear this in the groups a lot, and the one-to-one, a person will say, what is practice? I will ask sometimes, what is practice? And there can be a whole variety of different responses what is practice what is meditation and a common one is to end I to see the end of self to see the destruction of self to blow apart self to somehow you know detonate it into the void so that there'll be at least a moment of clear seeing before it comes rushing back with a vengeance (laughs) And one hears the stories. The stories being, before I was like this. And then, after a period of time or of situation, I was not like this. And sometimes, even more ambitiously, I was not. And one hears this. <laughs> Taking place, going from I was to I was not. And then one says, ah, this must be what the teachings of liberation are. The teachings of liberation must mean the end of I. And then perhaps one meets somebody or has contact with somebody, and then this person will imply or state or infer that they have uh, no eye, no that they are enlightened, or this, that, and the other. And then one begins, and as the Buddha says, one begins to observe and be with such a person. then this person, this person's life, this eye seems to show itself in different situations. And it's not supposed to because this person is enlightened and therefore the I must have gone so I wonder whether instead of abandoning or trying to bring the cessation to I and all the effort and struggle and implied surrender and letting go and all of that goes with it whether or not we can just rather regard I as in other words when we see this I this experience this event which is dependently arising it arises just as dependently as that sound that emerges from the bell Just as much a wonder in the vast interplay of things. So when we begin to question and and look into for immediate accessibility, immediate awakening, perhaps many of the old ideas and perceptions and thoughts and descriptions and beliefs which we have many of those things like about the past for one thing about the present being especially significant another about our relationship to the future as another about I perhaps the idea that somehow we've got to get rid of all of that Perhaps that idea isn't useful. Perhaps we don't have to think in terms of getting rid of anything. Sometimes and I know with th- some of these uh, talks, and m- probably be no exception this evening, that they can be hard to uh, uh, follow. So if the mind is wandering and you're feeling sleepy, great, don't worry, you're not missing anything. <laughs> so sometimes we look in our relationship to the world and we imagine there is something and we think of it, spiritually, something about me. So if we take it from a standpoint of heartfulness, standpoint of our inner feeling life, we might say, if I am to discover emptiness, genuine discovery of emptiness, then I have to surrender. I have to let go. I just have to let go of holding. It's that kind of heartfulness, and I mean a deep reverential heartfulness, in which in our relationship to life, what we see is, I have taken from this vastness of dependent arising, I have taken and I have begun to call this mine, or this me. I have taken out through thought and through perception, out of this vastness, and I said, me. Me me, 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 mine, mine, mine. And sometimes we we sense that, we we feel what we've done and the the conflict and the misery and the lack of liberation in that. And then with heartfulness we say, not to a god, not to a deity, not to a tradition, not to a, a guru. We say, unconditionally, I give it all back. That's what heartfulness is. I give it all back. All, all of this. It doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. It's not I. It's in the vastness of it all. And I offer it back to the vastness. And heartfulness can make that expression not just of the physical and the mental and the feelings and the perceptions but also every penny that one has, every so-called possession that one has, everything that one holds, one just says heartfully, I give it all back. The emptiness, the wonder, the mystery of not this, not that, But there are people, there are human beings who, in a way, do not regard themselves and perhaps would not regard themselves as being deeply heartful people. There are beings who are in the diversity, who we would say tend to reflect, tend to be more thinking types, who we don't consider to be heartful people types and then are we going to say it's only the heartful person that can be liberated are we going to say it's the only person only the person who can surrender only the person who can with the heart abandon all and give it all back because if that's the case then it would mean that a great range of people who are not there yet still kind and caring and thoughtful thinking people would be denied that because they would not be or considered a type of heartfulness and making that the means and sometimes in our meditations sometimes in the immediacy of the here and now sometimes in mind mindfulness and all the events that are unfolding and being revealed in mindfulness. It's rather with mindfulness, it's not so much perhaps the offering and the giving back and the genuine surrender to all which, to all that is called fast, but rather there's that understanding immediate that it was not ones in the first place to give back there's in the question of having to offer and surrender and heartfully give something back because there's a the realization that one never owned in the first place in order to give it back later. So I say no matter what the personality type, I say no matter where the person is thinking, person, feeling, person, perceiving, person whether the person's history is is tragic in its painfulness for so-called self and other I don't think there is a single impediment to immediate liberation not of the past not of the present personality mode not of the way of being it's immediately accessible there is no hindrance to it just like the Sun it only knows one nature and that is to shine it never goes out, it's always shining, clouds make no difference That's what I would say of emptiness, that there is a, there is a wonder oh, The wonder of this and the wonder which is not this and that wonder of this and that wonder which is not this is the same wonder that wonder of self and other and that wonder of not self and not other is the same wonder the same mystery, the same vastness the same revelation and as I say we do not have to be concerned about getting rid and free of self because self does not obstruct, I does not obstruct. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and harmony. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we?